Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The show also includes messages from Budweiser and Castro Motor Oil. Glad to be with you, as always. A little bit of a filibuster today, kind of like last week. I got a couple topics that I feel pretty passionately about. I'm going to go off on and most importantly, I want to make sure the show belongs to you. So anything that's on your mind in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, you could please either comment on the Facebook Live, the Periscope feed, the YouTube premiere. As that's coming up, you could also give the show a call. I do got a you know wrinkly, rusty, uh, dusted up old phone here that nobody calls. But if you want, 732-364-3598. Like I said, anything that's on your mind in, whoa as we just lost Periscope for a second. We're gonna jump up and fix that. Um, good thing the microphone holds up. Like I said, always glad to be with you. Really some funny stuff always happening on in this show, but we're, we're gonna dive right into it and the phone falls again. We'll, we'll say goodbye to the Periscope broadcast for today. But the thing I wanted to talk about, and I think it kind of got brought up a little bit when the Mets kind of went on that recent run, winning 15 out of 16 games and uh, as Listen, I don't think we're going to have Periscope today. That's the second time that's fallen. I don't know what the hell the problem is. Actually, wish I had somebody back here that was manning this, but this will be the last, last shot. Like I said, it falls again. Periscope, we could go uh, wait for another day. But, you know, the Mets... Went on a streak winning 15 out of 16 games. And the people that didn't like the Mets or were kind of knocking them because they couldn't knock them because of their play, were knocking them because all of a sudden their fans started showing up in in, in droves at the stadium. And you, know, you go from having 20,000 people or less during the middle of the season, which you know that's not good in the New York City, the market, the whole thing. And all of a sudden there's 38,000, 40,000 people the stadium is on a borderline of selling out. And the talk is, hey, fans, they're only going to support teams that are good. So if your team is struggling, you're going through a bad year, they're only going to go out there when your team is good. And it's always taken as a knock against the fans. And this is the part of it that kind of frustrates me a little bit because this isn't true. You, know, you talk about fans, how no matter what region of the country you're from, and you could be New York-centric and say, hey, New York fans are the best fans in the country, which I'll touch on a little bit because this kind of bothers me too. But listen, if your fans are going to go out there and they're going to support their team through thick and thin, they may do that emotionally. But a team that's one of the worst in the league, a team that's on pace in baseball to lose 90-plus games, a team in the NFL that's getting ready to go 3-13 and for another season or the second season in a row, fans are going to be happy that that season starts. Fans are going to be happy that it's a new beginning. Anything can happen, particularly in the National Football League. We know that you know there's so much parity that exists in the NFL. You could go from being a really bad team to a really good team quick and vice versa because the, level, the playing field is level enough. The salary cap sets it up to where most teams can be on the same level. And if you struggle one year, hey, maybe you have an opportunity through the draft or through free agency 
to get yourself a little bit better and prepare for the next season. So, uh, you know, when you think of parity in the NFL, and I do think if you are a diehard fan, you could stick to watching and paying attention to your favorite team in the NFL a little bit longer than you would in other sports because the recuperation time or the rebuilding time, the time that it comes from you're being a good team to all of a sudden you're not a good team anymore and the time frame that goes between the rebuild and the build towards success may not necessarily be that long in the National Football League. And as it applies to baseball, you know, if you look at the model of the Houston Astros and how many years they basically tanked, they gave up on winning baseball, they could have cared less about winning a baseball game, built through their minor league system, set a model for other teams that, hey, if you wait a while, if you draft well, if you really do some research and put stuff um, you know, in, in analytics in your farm system, you could build a sustained winner for a very long time. And I think the Astros have done a very good job with that. But the question I always want to ask is how exactly does that apply to the fans of the Houston Astros? Because the Houston Astros fans were not that removed from being in a World Series in 2005. And I know it didn't work out so well. They got swept by the Chicago White Sox the year before. They had that epic series against the St. Louis Cardinals where it could have gone either way. They ended up missing out on going to the World Series. Of course, the Cardinals lost to the Red Sox in 2004. But, you know, this team went from being good, having some Hall of Fame players and Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio and uh, a ton of talent. You know, even guys like Lance Berkman and Roy Oswald, you know, guys that may not be Hall of Famers were pretty damn good players and staples on that team. So you watch as the front office moves on from those players and you go through a couple different front offices and the decision is made for the Houston Astros. They're going to go from a team that was very competitive, even to the mid-90s. They were an 80-something win team. They were in the mix for a series of years, made a couple appearances when Larry Durker was the manager. But, you know, this wasn't a bad team for a series of, you know, 10 to 15 years. They were competitive. But they made that decision. Now, listen, it's time to break it down. It's time to totally reassess where we're at, come up with a different idea, a different game plan. And because of that, the competitiveness on the baseball field is going to take a shot. There's no chance that the Astros are going to be competitive in 2010, 2011, 2012, maybe 2013. And how does that impact the fans? Because fans are going to be excited. They say, hey, listen, there are going to be some younger players coming in. When you see the likes of Jose Altuve and John Singleton and some of the other guys that are coming up, maybe a, a Jay Happ, you know, they start to think that these are the players that are going to be part of the future. Obviously, there's other players like George Springer and Carlos Correa. And you think of the other talented young players that came up through this system when the Astros turned the corner. But I want to take you back. I want to jump into the DeLorean. I want to go back to 2010, 2011, 2012. Because this is going to get into the major point that I'm trying to make today. The Houston Astros, and listen, we're not going to talk about Houston as being the most major market in the United States of America. And I'm going to talk about some other markets in a little bit. But I think the Houston and the Astros are probably the best example of what I'm trying to talk about here. Because the Astros, like I said, went from about 15 years of competitive baseball, winning. They went to the World Series once, made the playoffs a handful of times, never won a World Series. So they decided they're going to go to a complete rebuild. But the years during the rebuild 
fans weren't showing up. Fans weren't going to Minute Maid Park. Attendance was down dramatically. And it coincided with the fact that the Astros weren't playing winning baseball. Now, fans may have understood the plan. They may have understood that Jeff now and his staff were going to invest in the team's future and more money was going to go into data and analytics since you know the scouting of the players were going to bring in some really good young players. And over the series of years, the Houston Astros were going to become a winner. And they did. They won the World Series in 2017. You think of the Astros and the Yankees and the Dodgers, probably, you know, you, you take those three teams and say, hey, them against the field as far as winning the World Series in 2019. I, I really think that you could say, hey, 70, maybe even an 80% chance that one of those three teams will win the World Series this year. And I think the Astros are the favorites. But what happened during the years where the Astros weren't competitive? Even though they had a plan, even though that plan ended up coming to fruition, and got themselves a World Series championship. And are right in a window where they have a chance to win another one and maybe more. Fans didn't show up at the stadium when the Astros weren't very good. So my question, and I threw this out there in a tweet. What fans or what set of people that support a sports team. Whether it's baseball, whether it's football, basketball, hockey. It doesn't matter. I don't care what sport we're talking about right here. But what team has a group of fans that go out to the stadium regardless of whether that team wins or loses? And I'm not talking about winning or losing a game. I'm not talking about winning or losing a championship within a season. I'm talking about what team, what team's fans go out there and support a losing team. How many New York football Giants fans you know, loaded up MetLife Stadium the year they went 3-13 and two years ago. And you hear a lot, and a lot of the responses I got, well, there's this group of fans, that group of fans. A lot of them were New York-centric. The first uh, theory I want to knock is the New York Knicks. And you've heard me talk about this on the show before, because you follow the New York Knicks, and if you're a New York Knicks fan in the city of New York, or you live wherever... Whatever, that's the team you support. Maybe you go back 72, 73, 69, you know, and you're, you're, you're like, listen, that's where my roots are. Maybe you go from the Patrick Ewing generation. But the bottom line is you bleed the orange and blue of the New York basketball Knicks. They haven't been good the last 15, 20 years. But, which a lot of people will try to remind me, Madison Square Garden, where they play their home basketball games, is a constant sellout. There, it's a hard ticket to get to. I mean, you could get it through SeatGeek or StubHub if you want, and it's not the worst thing in the world. You could get a seat at Madison Square Garden, but the bottom line is when you get there, when you load up, you know, your, your group of friends, you go to the stadium, you know you're going to be in a packed house. And fans of the New York Knicks will mistake in this for a fact that Fans are going to go out there and support their team whether they're good or not. The Knicks could go out there and win 15 games next season or this season, and the Garden is still going to be sold out. And the unfortunate misconception of this theory is that fans are going to support this team whether they win or lose. And that's not true. Madison Square Garden is owned by corporations. Madison Square Garden, if you, you talk about the percentage of tickets that are sold before the season starts, probably has 
uh, the highest amount of season ticket holders of any team of any sport in the country. And once again, it's not diehard New York Knicks fans. I'm sure a lot of them are New York Knicks fans. But the bottom line is corporations buy these seats for many years in advance. And they use them to get clients. They use them to, you know, in regards to their own corporations, to bring people in, bring people out. Many different people get a chance to use these seats. Celebrities own season tickets and bring certain people to the games. So this thought that you've got a group of fans that just can't wait to fill up the garden and go out there and support the Knicks when they're going to win 15 games is not true. There's no other venue in the entire country, in any sport, and it doesn't matter what sport we're talking about, there's no other venue that has as much manufactured or you know, tickets that are sold in advance without regards for how the team's going to be doing as the Garden. Madison Square Garden is the destination. It's not the New York Knicks. If you go back and you, you, you see the amount of tics, tickets that are sold for the New York Rangers when it comes to hockey, the Rangers, whether they're good or bad, have attendance numbers that are up near the top of the NHL every single season. It's because of the garden. It's because of the destination. There is no other destination in this entire country for any game. And I don't care if you're talking about world soccer, Manchester United playing a game you know, in New York City. There's no other place that sells out better than the garden. But the problem is, is it's not based off of whether the Knicks or the Rangers win or lose. These tickets are sold in advance to corporations. Corporations own the garden. Corporations buy up all these tickets. They're sold to them. They have millions and millions of dollars, so they don't care how much, how many seats they buy and own for every single home game over the course of the season. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to them. But those, they count as sold. Those sellouts count as sellouts. And you get this misconception that there's these fans that are so much superior to anybody else that will go out there and support the team whether they win or whether they lose. And that's not true. So the other fan base, and it's unfortunate because I don't want to make it as we hit what we'll call the opening point here at a past ball show. Reminder brought to you by JohnPaley.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Messages about all three of them will come up in a little bit. But I think of the New York Yankees, and there is a group of fans that exist that have come up, they've grown up, if they're in their 20s, or even if you're in your 30s, and you're a diehard, passionate New York Yankees fan, all you've seen is winning. You've seen a, a, a group of players, whether it's from Bernie Williams to, you know, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera to the players that you look at today in Aaron Judge and Glaber Torres. Really from the time that Brian Cashman took over as the general manager of this baseball team, the Yankees have done nothing but winning. Now that Yankee fan will come at me and say, well, if you haven't won a World Series in 10 years. No, no, no. I'm not talking about World Series championships. And I know fans of the New York Yankees, you talk about the number 27, and that's all that you have to mention when it comes to the New York Yankees. And the fact that the expectation year in and year out is to win a World Series. And you're supposed to win a World Series every year if you're the New York Yankees. And if the Yankees make it to the seventh game of the ALCS, 
or if they make it to the World Series and lose in five games, it's considered a disappointing season. That all I get. But the problem is, is that fans, especially the ones that have never experienced losing, don't understand what losing does to a franchise, doesn't understand what losing does to a fan base. Fans are going to show up in droves to support a team that's winning. And the Yankees, as they're on a pace to win well over 100 games, if you're a New York Yankees fan, you're going to be dying to show up at the stadium, make your appearance for a couple games. If you live close enough or the opportunity is there, you're going to want to go to as many games as you can. Yankee Stadium, there's not going to be a problem with the stadium being sold out the rest of the year. And it's not even contingent on the team winning a World Series. It's about what's sold, about the possibility this team's going to win well over 100 games. It's going to be pretty much between them and the Astros in regards to odds as far as what team in the American League is best equipped to go to the World Series. And it's really between them and the Astros and the Dodgers as far as, from a talent perspective, what team has the best opportunity to win a World Series in 2019. So if the World Series is a possibility, sure, your fans are going to be showing up at the stadium. Fans were going to be showing up last year when the Yankees won 100 games, even though they didn't win the division, even though the Boston Red Sox knocked them out in the division series last season. The year before, expectations were not as high, but the Yankees were a good playoff team. They won the wild card game. They beat the Indians. They took the Houston Astros, who ended up winning the World Series, to seven games in the ALCS. Obviously, fans were going to support that team. And you go back, even in the years of 2015, 2016, 2014, years that may not have been ideal for the New York Yankees. You know what they all had in common? They were all winning seasons. They were all seasons where the Yankees won 85 or more games, where maybe they didn't have the best chance of making a, you know, a, a postseason appearance. 2016, of course, they made a couple trades. They traded Aroldis Chapman, got Clayber Torres. They traded Andrew Miller. They got Clint Frazier. They traded off some players. Gave up on the 2016 season, but I would bet you that over the course of that season in September, fans still showed up in the stadium, but probably dropping a little bit. Not as many showed up because the aspirations of winning a World Series championship were not there. But you go back before that and just about every season when it comes to the New York Yankees, is a chance for them to make the playoffs. And we know the way the format's set up, that if you make the playoffs, you're going to have a legitimate chance of getting to the World Series. Any team that's in the playoffs has a chance. And I'm not a big fan of the expanded playoff format. I would prefer there to only be a couple teams. I would like to see four divisions. I would like to see four division winners get a chance to go to a postseason. Obviously, that doesn't make the money and the revenue that the rest of the teams that make the playoffs and their opportunity to get fans in their stadiums for wild card games and stuff like that. But, you know, looking at what the Yankees have been, what, what have the Yankees been in a lot of people's lifetimes? They've been nothing but winners. The last time the Yankees had a losing season was 1992. And you know what I want to tell you about 1992? Because this is a part that a lot of Yankee fans aren't understanding right now. When your team loses, when your team's a bad team, when your team is not on a pace to get a winning, finish with a winning record over the course of a regular season, the fans are not going to show up. They're not going to go to the stadium. And those diehard Yankee fans that say Yankee fans are the best fans in the world didn't support your freaking team in 1992. 
The Yankees finished 76 and 86. That was Buck Showalter's first year as the Yankees manager. They were coming off of a series of losing seasons. They were coming off of the Stump Merrill years. The years in which uh, Gene Michael started working on the farm system because George Steinbrenner got suspended. And likely, if it wasn't for that, the Yankees wouldn't have built the core four. I'm going to call it the core five because Bernie Williams is part of the friggin' core. If it wasn't for those players, if it wasn't for that time frame and George Steinbrenner getting suspended and Gene Michael doing what he did, the Yankees could have struggled for a longer period of time. But going back to 1992, those diehard Yankee fans that say that they go to the stadium regardless, they're going to Yankee Stadium whether they win or lose, whether there's a chance they're going to win the World Series or not. They're going to sell Yankee Stadium out, whether it's the old stadium or the new stadium. Where were you in 1992? The Yankees were 76 and 86. The Yankees' attendance for that year was exactly 1,748,737, which was 11th out of 14 teams in all of Major League Baseball. 11th out of 14 teams in the American League. And I stand corrected. I said Major League Baseball, I meant the American League. So if you're such a diehard fan, where were you in 1992? And you know what? If you're young enough or maybe too young to say that you were a diehard supporter of the Yankees at that time, where were your parents? Where was your uncle? Where were those that got you into New York City and New York Yankee fandom? Because you didn't support your freaking team in 1992 when you were 76 and 86. The Yankees' last losing season, which we know seems like forever ago, happens to be 27 seasons ago. Obviously, the irony in that. Yankees fans didn't support their team when they were 76 and 86. There's talk about the Chicago Cubs and their string of sellouts at Wrigley Field. Where were these fans in 2013 and 2014 when they were in the, the latter part of the pack amongst the uh, National League attendants? The point I'm going to make, and I'm going to continue to make it, fans want to support a winner. And when a team represents or presents itself as a losing team, the fans are not going to show up. Fans are not going to show up towards the end of the season. The attendance of those teams that do not do well in any given season coincides with its record. You have a winning team, you're going to sell out. A team gets off to a bad start, fans are going to stop coming. That team starts to win games again, those stadiums are going to be sold out, especially as it applies to the major markets of the United States of America. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and the solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts in this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC, is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charge and admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I hope I made my point. I, I hope, and, and listen, you can rebut me. Tell me everything that's wrong with what I just said. If you have a losing team in baseball, if you have a losing team in football, if you have a losing team in basketball or in hockey, fans are not going to show up at your stadium. And it doesn't matter if it's New York. It doesn't matter if it's Los Angeles. It doesn't matter if it's Chicago. It doesn't matter if it's Oklahoma City or Washington State. 
or any market that you want to talk about. If the team's not good, fans are not going to show up. Same applies to the Yankees. The only exception could be the New York Knicks, but we understand that the attendance numbers are processed. The attendance numbers of the Garden are synthetic. They have a guaranteed attendance number because all of their tickets or the majority of their tickets are bought by corporations before the season begins. It's not about the Knicks. It's not about the Rangers. It's about the Garden. The Garden is the biggest destination of any place in the United States of America. That's the draw. The Garden is like Disney World. The Garden is like the White House. You understand? So that you can't compare apples to apples when you're saying that, oh my God, New York Knicks fans and Ranger fans, God, do they support their team. Their teams can be so bad, but they'll still fill up the garden. No, the garden's filled up if there's nobody there. The garden's filled up if you make the Knicks and the Rangers minor league teams. But stop saying that every fan base is so superior to one another, because that just drives me crazy. Here's the other point I got to make about this. And, and I'm not even going to make it a, a New York thing. I'll, I'll use any region in this country. And what are they all going to have in common? Whether it's New York, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Boston, Chicago, Detroit, Florida, Atlanta, Texas, anywhere in the country. San Francisco, Seattle, Minnesota. What are they all going to say? That they have the best fans. What are the teams that count on their fans when they're winning and have sellout crowds going to say, we have the best fans? If you happen to be a fan of any one of those teams in any one of those sports in any one of those regions, you're going to say that your fans are the most passionate in the world. You support your team better than any other team in any other sport or any other city. And that applies to just you. That's the biasness of you as a sports fan. Nobody in another region is going to say, wow, our fans are pretty good. But man, do New York fans really care about their teams. They care about their teams more than I care about my team. Who's going to say that? Name one person from Philadelphia that's a diehard Philadelphia sports fan that's going to say that. Name one person in the city of Boston that's a diehard Boston sports fan. They're going to say that their fans are good, but, you know, oh, man. Those New York fans, wow, they're, they're superior to us. It's a biasness. Whatever region or team you happen to support is the team or region you're going to say that those fans are so superior. Just like politics. It's a biasness based off of what Kool-Aid you drank. And it, when you drink Kool-Aid as it applies to sports... Sure, you're going to support your team thick and thin. You're going to be more passionate about that team than any other team in, in the entire sport. And you're also going to let it get to your head and think that you and your fans are so superior to everybody else. You may believe that, but all you have to do is ask another fan, a fan of a different team, and they're not going to agree with you. It's just a matter of opinion. It's a biasness that fans have amongst themselves. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability you'll find in no beer 
at any cost. So I, I was I was trying to listen to Golden Tate the other day when he's in it yesterday and today. Obviously, giving some interviews with the press after his appeal for his four-game suspension for the use of a fertility drug, which is against, you know, performance-enhancing drugs. He was suspended four games. He appealed the suspension. And the only thing that I could say about this is there's not enough accountability when it comes to athletes and the use of performance-enhancing drugs. There isn't a sport out there that doesn't have a list, a specific list, and if the sport doesn't provide it, a player's agent, who, by the way, is making a lot of money on behalf of that player for doing nothing but negotiating their contracts, once they're in a contract, they don't have to do anything. The least they could do is make sure that player is updated on any possible chemical that can and cannot be in their body. Every time a player gets caught using performance-enhancing drugs and gets a suspension, whether it's baseball or football or basketball or hockey, obviously more prolific in baseball and football, all of a sudden you hear these excuses about, well, I didn't know it was in my system. Um, I took this, but I thought it was okay. I thought I was approved for this. The blame goes on everybody else but themselves. And the problem is, is that every human being is responsible for everything that goes in their body. You don't have to be a professional athlete to understand the significance of anything that could go in your body and what it can do and what it can't do. As I'm drinking caffeine right now, it may not necessarily be the greatest thing for me, so I understand the pros and cons of drinking caffeine. If I decided to take an anabolic steroid, I would understand the pros and cons of what it can do for me against whatever health you know, implications it could have. And if I played a professional sport, I would understand that it is against the rules. And as drug testing exists, it's done to keep those that are trying to compromise the integrity of the game held accountable for what they're doing. And you look at every single instance of every player that's been caught using performance-enhancing drugs. And like I said... I'm, I'm okay with it. You know what? If you want to do it and not get caught, that's fine. If you want to do it to get your next big contract and then maybe take that suspension later on, that's fine too. I, I have no dog in a fight. I'm not an advocate on the use of performance-enhancing drugs in sports. But I think there should be more accountability when it comes to its athletes and what they're doing. Because there's not a single athlete out there that's going to allow some sort of chemical to get in their system that they don't know about. And if Golden Tate was given misinformation by his doctor, then he has the right to take legal action there if he wants to. But I'm tired of every player that's getting suspended for the use of PEDs to have some sort of excuse. They're the only one in the history of the sport to be miscast or misdiagnosed or to fail a drug test that they didn't really fail. Take responsibility for what's going in your system. Because nobody's that stupid to know that you didn't know that something that could potentially be harmful. Not just the implications, again, suspended in your respective sports. Something that could potentially harm your body. Both immediately and down the road. That you don't know it's in your system? Come on. It's freaking insane.
Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. Castrol, engineered for today's smaller cars. So I want to talk about a couple small things. Uh, we, we lost another player from the past ball show family, and I haven't got a chance to mention it. It was actually uh, August 4th or August 5th, where former Major League infielder Ernie Bowman passed away. And it might not be a name that resonates a lot with the listeners or a lot with people that know a ton about baseball. You can talk about diehard baseball fans, and you may not know very much about Ernie Bowman. But uh, born and raised in Johnsonville, Tennessee, he ended up playing with the Giants for a couple of years in the early part of the 1960s. And even though he got a handful of at-bats, less than 200 in his career, he hit about 200 for his career, he got a chance to play in the World Series in 1962 when the Giants were a roaring line drive off the bat of Willie McCovey away from potentially beating the Yankees in seven games. And Ernie Bowman, I had a chance to meet him at his home in Johnson City, Tennessee, during the winter meetings in Nashville. I believe that was, what, 2015? I think we went out there. This year we'll be in San Diego. It's great getting a chance to meet with him and chat with him. Unfortunately, he was suffering through cancer at that time. And, you know, another four years, he's still he was still going strong. So rest in peace to Ernie Bowman, former Major League infielder, the Giants. Ended up through some transactions, being involved in some other organizations, whether it was the Milwaukee Braves, the New York Mets, the Cleveland Indians. I was thinking a little bit about the NFL. And obviously, as preseason starting, you had some games and we, we know about the issues that exist in the NFL when it comes to games that don't mean anything in preseason and the teams want to protect their players. They're not going to play their star players. So a lot of them are going to get pretty much a, a cakewalk through the four weeks of, of the, the preseason. Going to ramp it up for week number one. So obviously over the course of the next month, it might drag a little bit. But you do have, obviously, fantasy football leagues, which are going to get started, drafts you're going to see towards the end of the month of August. But the greatest thing that I can say about the National Football League is, now, I, I know you can say this about any sport, that there's that dream that exists, that possibility that you could go out there and win a ton of games, have a great season. Things may not necessarily be great coming in. But, hey, you can always sell the dream. It's always another season. How about the Dodgers? Wait till next year. It could always be that next year. And that's what's excited, exciting about any sport. But as it applies to football, we could always talk about the parity. How you talk about a handful of teams that are usually considered favorites each year. But outside of the New England Patriots, there's really nothing that's guaranteed. You can see the struggles of, let's say, a New Orleans or a Minnesota or a Kansas City or a Seattle. While all those teams have had moments, they've also had moments where things haven't worked out so well for them. So the one consistency throughout the National Football League has been the New England Patriots, and I'll continue to say it. I will believe that the New England Patriots are, do not have a, a great chance of winning a Super Bowl when they go out there and they don't do it, when they miss the playoffs, when a team like the Jets or the Buffalo Bills or the Miami Dolphins take the division in the AFC East away from it. But outside of that, anything's on the table. Out of the other 31 teams in the National Football League, you could make the playoffs. You could be a team that's competing for a playoff spot, loses out towards the end, or you could be a bad team. 
And sometimes the bad teams aren't always the teams you expect them to be. Yeah, the Arizona Cardinals don't look so good. But they got a great young quarterback by the name of Kyler Murray out of Oklahoma. Chance with the number one overall pick to be a star. Maybe catapult that team to the next level. Cliff Kingsbury, the quarterback whisperer. Larry Fitzgerald, maybe a little bit left. Maybe he could have a rapport. David Johnson's a good running back. So as bad as you think things might be for the Arizona Cardinals, you don't know how bad things are going to be for other teams in the National Football League. And I, I say this applies more for football than baseball, but it does apply to baseball too. For every team that unexpectedly gets off to a really good start, it comes at the expense of somebody that had higher expectations. So when we talk about the likes of, let's say, the Minnesota Twins in Major League Baseball, the really good start they got off to coincided with a not-so-good start by a team in Cleveland that was expected to win that division. And as time has gone by, things have normalized. The Indians are right there with the Twins. Maybe both the Indians and the Twins will make the playoffs in baseball. But you, know, you talk about surprise teams in the National Football League, and we always like to refer to them as sleepers. You know, that team that... Nobody's really looking at to be make a big run this year. It'll come out of the pack, maybe won four games or five games or six games last year, and over the course of this next season is going to surprise some people. A lot of teams have had that same stereotype or feeling. The Cleveland Browns, a lot of people are going to believe in them this year. A lot of people have believed in the Buffalo Bills over the course of the last couple seasons. You know, The New York Jets could be a good sleeper pick this year. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the Houston Texans. In, in seasons where they've come back off of rough seasons or down seasons, the expectation is, hey, I, I put a couple eggs in this basket. I think this team could go out there and be pretty good. San Francisco 49ers over the course of the last couple seasons, you've seen some improvement. Obviously, the Garoppolo injury last year destroyed the thought of them being a, a surprise team. But I think you could put your eggs in any basket amongst any football team. I mean, I even think of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bruce Arians comes over there as head coach. Maybe he gets something out of Jameis Winston that, you know, the previous coaches, you know, Dirk Cotter, you know, other guys that were there before couldn't get out of them. And, and you look at divisions like the NFC South with Tampa Bay, but not only that, New Orleans and Atlanta and Carolina. All those teams are usually pretty good, but what they do is they beat the heck out of each other. So the team that ends up emerging is that team that is able to beat those other teams in that division. New Orleans is considered a favorite there, but would it shock you at all if you know the Carolina Panthers had a little something left? I know Cam Newton may be hurt, so that might pour a little cold water on it. What about the Atlanta Falcons? A couple of years ago, they were in the Super Bowl. Three Super Bowls ago, they were playing. They had a, what, a, a 30 ridiculous lead, 30-point lead against the New England Patriots and blew it in the second half of the game. How about the NFC East? You know, you could say, hey, it's the year of the Dallas Cowboys. Well, you know, Dak Prescott's trying to negotiate his contract extension. You know, running back Ezekiel Elliott's holding out. They look like they have a good team, decent defense, obviously star players on offense. Philadelphia Eagles. Well, Nick Foles led him to a Super Bowl. He's playing in Jacksonville. And I know Carson Wentz on that year that the Eagles ended up winning the Super Bowl looked like the MVP of that season until he got hurt. Now it's going to be a lot of pressure on Carson Wentz. 
You don't think of a lot out of Washington or a lot out of the Giants. But what if one of those teams overachieves? It's going to come at the expense of somebody that was expected to do good. And that's why I think football, from a parity and a competitive standpoint, is better than any other sport in the country. It's not my favorite sport. I love baseball. I will say that till the day I die. But the National Football League is more interesting because on any given Sunday, anything can happen. And a team with no expectations, a team with a, no prospects of doing anything over the course of a season, can go out there and surprise. And whenever it surprises, it'll surprise at the expense of somebody who was expected to do better. A little bit of a recap of the show today. You're talking about fans flocking to the stadium. Sell-out crowds coincided with one thing, winning. And it doesn't matter if you think that the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers support their teams in thick and thin better than anybody. You're talking about a crowd that is synthetic, a crowd that the tickets are sold prior to the season to corporations. You can't get a ticket to the Garden to see the Knicks or the Rangers. So therefore, it doesn't matter whether the Knicks or the Rangers are good. The corporations own the Garden. People go to Madison Square Garden because it's a destination, not to see the teams play. And it doesn't matter if the Knicks and Rangers are good. People are still going to flock to the Garden because it's the Garden. Madison Square Garden is one of the greatest tourist destinations that exist in the entire country. It's up there with Disney World. It's up there with the White House. It's up there with any other place you could talk about that people are going to flock from all over the country and can't wait to go out there and see regardless of what's there. You're going to go to Disney World if your plans are going to go to Disney World. And it doesn't matter if Mickey Mouse isn't there. You're still going to go out there and support Disney. Same thing with the Garden and the Knicks and the Rangers. And as far as people that support the New York Yankees that think that they support their team thick and thin, go back to the year of 1992. And the reason I bring up the year of 1992 is that was the last season that the New York Yankees had a losing record. They were 76 and 86 that season. Their attendance, 1,748,737, was 11th out of the 14 teams in the American League. Where were you fans in 1992? And don't tell me that you support your team thick and thin when you didn't in 1992. You might be young, too young to say that you could have you couldn't have supported your team back then. Well, wait until the next time the Yankees are 76 and 86. I don't care what year that is. I promise you, you won't have a top attendance at all Major League Baseball. Follow that up with another losing season. Less and less fans are going to show up. Fans show up to support winners. And when a team's not doing so good, they're probably going to stay at home. They're not going to travel to go up to the stadium to support their team. They may still watch on television. They may still listen on the radio. They may still follow through their mobile apps and MLB at bat and you know NFL, CBS, and whatever. But they're not going to support a team that ain't any good. A team that has a losing record, it coincides with attendance being down. And for everybody that doesn't understand that, I don't know how to explain that any better. Talk about responsibility that athletes refuse to have when it comes to chemicals that are in their body. You fail a drug test, it's because you had something in your system that you shouldn't have. 
And if you care about your body, you're going to want to know everything that's in your system. So don't lie and tell people you don't know what's in your body. And don't come up with an excuse. Every single player has got this unique excuse of the reason why they got caught doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. But, you know, they didn't mean to put it in there or they didn't do it all together. Yes, you did. It's like, it's like that kid that has his hand in the cookie jar is going to try to explain, no, you know, I didn't want a cookie out of it. I just wanted a feeling of my hand in a jar. Stop it with your bullshit excuses. Be back with you next week. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPaley.com, by St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Also by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, on Nayog Avenue and Green Ridge Street. The number, if you're interested, is... 570-800-8117. Be back with you next week. Got some baseball pennant races obviously heating up. We'll see what the NL wild card looks like. American League, it looks like it's pretty set. You do have a little bit of battle for the wild card. Twins, excuse me, Indians, whoever doesn't win that division is going to be in a good position to win a wild card. But you also got the Athletics. You got the Rays. Maybe the Red Sox. Maybe even the Rangers who are hovering around the 500 mark. We'll see what happens next week be back with you then obviously some nfl talk nba anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball sports and unifying america god bless you and as always i'll see you on the other side